And the 0-1 on the way. Slider again and a swing and a ground ball to third. Biggio has it. Across to Guerrero in time. And the Blue Jays will win it. It took a while, and it was a grind, but they snapped their three-game losing streak with a 6-3 win at Fenway Park. It's at the letters, presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Arden Swelling, Ben Nicholson, Smith. Our producers are Kristen Ryan, Mike Tassoni. Today is Thursday, April 22nd. Happy to be here talking to you about the Toronto Blue Jays. And Ben, let's just like... 35,000 square feet, like pull back, bird's eye view, big picture, state of affairs. If you're a Blue Jays fan and you've watched every game of this season, um, you probably think the team is doing worse than like it actually is. You know, they're only a couple games beneath 500. But I would say like the standard of play and the style of play um, and the way they've gotten to those results has not been the most pleasing and the most encouraging. So if you're a Blue Jays fan and you're just, you know, a little dour right now or a little pessimistic about the way things have been going i totally understand because you know granularly at that level the blue jays have not necessarily been playing well oh no yeah no they've they've missed some opportunities they you know that Ryu start against boston losing three of four against kansas city not great not great at all but like you said like once you get to the point that you actually zoom out and it's hard to do right because it's it's so fun to obsess over the granular of every Kevin Biggio throw or every missed spot on a Hyunjin Ryu changeup. not that there are many of those but it's hard to zoom out and so I think it's it's a good idea to take that 35,000 foot view and say all right this is a pretty good team they're eight and ten they haven't played great they're gonna get some players back things are fine <laughs> you know it's like it's not great but it's fine yeah you would like it to be better, certainly, right? And you would like the Blue Jays to be, you know, five games above 500. Like, you'd like them to be in the position that the Red Sox are in right now and to have sure. had, like, some unexpected good results. But, I mean, I think that, you know, when you look at it, you mentioned it, two games under 500. It feels worse, right? Yeah. But, you know, I've been of the mind that if the Blue Jays get to the end of April, like, right around 500, that is fine, all things considered. And you can even kind of layer in the fact that they have a plus 10 run differential, which uh, is third best in the American League, sixth best in baseball. They are somehow leading the American League in ERA with nine pitchers currently on IL. They are about to add George Springer to the lineup. They are not adding like just a run-of-the-mill average replacement level player. Like They are adding a legitimate all-star, silver slugger, MVP candidate to the lineup like it's not the same thing as like oh hopefully Lourdes Gurriel Jr. you know heats up at some point it's you're adding George Springer to your lineup not to mention Teoscar Hernandez who won a, a silver slugger last season as well I just think that it's somewhere in between right the club's pitching probably isn't as good as it's been so far particularly nope. considering a lot of the arms they've been without the offense isn't as bad as it's been so far considering the the bats they're in this lineup it's like you said it's fine it's fine yeah <laughs> exactly i mean it's it's you kind of look at the standings right now which is a dangerous game to play at this point in the season but st louis cardinals eight and ten atlanta eight and ten i'm not worried if i were to in, indulge in that kind of feeling of oh are are the cardinals still contenders yeah they're still contenders so is atlanta you know we'll see what ha- it doesn't mean they're gonna make the playoffs they might not like things can go awry for any team and things could get worse for the blue jays too i mean there's sure. no guarantee that you know boba Shad doesn't pull a hamstring they're not exempt from that but as things sit right now as we look at things right now they're totally fine and you know you compare it to the yankees um you compare it to the astros who have lost nine of ten there are certainly teams where there's like maybe some more real cause for concern on a big picture level. And I don't think the Jays are there with the Jays. And I know we're going to get to this, but even if we agree that things are fine, big picture, we can still look at the granular and say, hey, there are some issues here on a smaller scale. I think yeah, the Bo Bichette hamstring strain that you just you know, uh, brought up, like kind of, you know, sent chills through my spine because like a team can only withstand so many injuries and i would say the blue jays are right at that like maximum amount there's probably a range of injuries that you can withstand as a minimum and maximum and like they are right up against it man with the amount of guys on the il the blue jays have six players on their 40-man roster who are not currently active or on il that's wild 
Like that yeah. is insane. We came into the season saying like, hey, depth is going to be more important than ever in 2021. And your organization, like your 40, your full 40 is going to be tested. But like for the Blue Jays, it has been tested exceptionally and they have gotten to a point where they're eight and ten like which is fine considering some of the players they've been relying on think about how many you know how many innings tommy malone has had to pitch and how much you know joel piamps we've had to see josh palacios is an everyday player on this team like none of these things were things that you know coming into the season when everyone was making their lineup projections and here's how they'll look against lefties and righties and here's how they're going to use the bullpen this is not how anybody would have drawn it up but this is the reality for the Blue Jays. So like, yeah, if they had another like really bad catastrophic injury right now, like that could be really tough. They need to get to a point where they are starting to return some of these players that they have been without and looking more like what they expected to be. And and it really seems like that's about to start happening very, very soon. sounds like George Springer and Teoscar Hernandez are about to be activated, might be activated by the time a lot of our listeners are are tuning in and, and listening to this. Tyler Chatwood on his way back, Jordan Romano on his way back. So there are reinforcements. In the meantime, they have off days. And and look, I'm not trying to say that things are good or that this has been a good start. I don't think this has been a good start for the Blue Jays. I think it's been okay. It's been fine. So-so. You know, and like I said, if they get to the end of April 500, I think you feel absolutely fine. Well, maybe we could take a little bit of a, uh, a more granular look at some of the Blue Jays, uh, the hitters in particular, who have been struggling a little bit to start the year and kind of check where our confidence level is uh, on all of them. And let's start with uh, Marcus Simeon, who, uh, you know, free agent acquisition, one year, $18 million deal, uh, you know, expected to be a, a pretty, pretty. I don't know if it's like a big part of this offense, but like certainly a key cog in it, guy who's going to play every day. You know, you don't give a guy $18 million if you're not expecting a, a pretty good level of production. What do you make of what you've seen so far from Marcus Simeon at the plate? Well, you like the home runs, and there's not been a ton else really to go on um, or to to grab onto. If you're a Blue Jays fan looking for signs that he's going to be closer to that MVP candidate he was in 2019, there's not a ton. Um, I, I think that being said, I would expect that he gets back to being uh, average to a bit above average major league hitter. I just think that when you look at his finish in 2020, you look at his 2019, you look at the flashes of power he's showing now, I think there's enough there to believe that he's probably going to be pretty solid as a hitter. Yeah, I thought they did a good job of breaking this down on the broadcast the last couple of nights. Uh, and that is that Marcus Simeon's pulling everything. You know, Joe Siddle had a great piece about it. Um, and that's interesting because that does stand in sort of stark contrast to his career norms when he typically, you know, uses more of the field. I mean, I think his power has always predominantly been pull side, as is, as is with a lot of guys. But typically you're seeing more kind of base hits the other ways, singles, uh, you know, occasional doubles. It's probably too early to say like this is a thing but i think it's definitely something worth monitoring and whether you know i'm sure he's diving in with guillermo martinez on just you know what he can do kind of approach wise setup wise with his swing uh maybe not to pull the ball so much uh and marcus simian's a guy who's talked about it he's a guy who will make little tweaks in his in his batting stance and his setup like from game to game even he said, you know, the big benefit of being an everyday player is you get to try stuff out and experiment, kind of adjust as the season goes on. So it's going to be an interesting evolution to watch. But, you know, so far, he's still hitting the ball really hard. He's still got great exit velos and, and hard hit rate. You know, there's nothing, you know, in the contact numbers that like stands out to you. Uh, I would just take the fact that, you know, he has a 208 batting average on balls in play that maybe a little bit or a little better luck. Starts using, you know, a bit more of the field, getting, you know, hitting into the shift a little bit less. I would expect that he's going to come around. And that's really actually been like the story of his career. Like 2019, you were mentioning, kind of stands in stark contrast to what happened earlier in his career where he was like pretty streaky. Like he was, you know, he would have like these hot stretches and then go into a cold funk and then another hot stretch. Like the, the crazy thing about 2019, like he started really hot and then had a disastrous May and then heated up in June and just did not stop Then had a massive second half. Like he wasn't an all-star in 2019. Like that's how rough his like first yeah. half was. It's hard to not be an all-star and to finish third in MVP yeah. voting. So I, I would expect Marcus Simeon's going to come around. I think that's pretty fair. He's got the experience. It wasn't one that he would have wanted, but he has the experience from last year and from 2019 of starting slowly and coming back from it. So whatever... 
you know, lessons you learned during that time of, uh, you know, finding ways to overcome those those numbers that are a little disappointing. Maybe he applies them now and and turns things around a little bit offensively. How about Kevin Biggio? Because, uh, you know, the the adjustment we saw from the Blue Jays just in lineup construction wise on Wednesday was moving Marcus Simeon out of that leadoff spot putting Kevin Biggio back up there, two guys who have kind of been struggling to find their stride early in the season. That's right. Yeah, I think, you know, with Biggio, there's a little more concern for me. Not a huge amount. I still think it's early. There's time for people to work things out. If you look at Kevin Biggio entering this season, he had played basically 162 major league games and been worth like five war. So let's not forget that. But I think at the same time, just very simple stats like his walk rate and strikeout rate. They're trending in the wrong direction. His walk rate is down, and that's obviously a big part of his offensive game, a big part of his offensive value, and his strikeout rate is up. And, you know, when you pair that with the fact that his uh, he does have some trouble hitting fastballs at uh, high velocity, you know, you just wonder what it's going to take for him to make that adjustment and get it back to the rate that he was at in 2019 and 20 when he was a very good player. So to me, I still think we've seen a lot from Biggio over the years to suggest that he can adapt, that he can adjust, but offensively and defensively, but we'll, we'll get to the defensive side of things. Offensively, I think there's a room for a little concern here. It's a couple things there. Uh, you know, first and foremost, like we should acknowledge, like I think Kevin Biggio is having trouble gripping his baseball bat right now, like because he has right. taken like three different scorchers off his bare yeah. hand and and when he was out of the lineup for a couple days i mean that's just because the the swelling and the pain was so bad that he literally could not play and that was fairly recent to score and cabin is having a tough time down at third base tonight i i think he's really fighting it right now that that's a play that i have seen him make over and over again he just got caught in between again not really sure of himself on that the runners were taking off, and he was going over to third base, and he was right in line to make the play. I promise you he is not fully over those issues. Like I promise you he's still carrying them, and he's getting day-to-day treatment, but he's not healing from them as quickly as he could because he's out there playing nine innings every night, and he's swinging a bat, right? So I, I, you know, that could be contributing. You also mentioned you know, kind of his need to make an adjustment going forward. Well, he is trying to make proactive adjustments this season and he's kind of talked about you know tweaking his approach a little bit trying to be more aggressive early in the count um and to make more contact two strikes get rid of the leg kick and kind of shorten up to the ball and a lot of that he was explaining the other day is due to the fact that he thinks that on every scouting report in the league it says this guy does not swing at the first pitch you throw and with two strikes you can get him to look at strike three so it's like it is kind of an interesting push pull that is occurring here like you want hitters to be proactive about adjustments you don't want the league to figure them out and to exploit them for two months and to have disastrous results then have to make the adjustment there right like you want to kind of stay ahead of the pitchers but you also don't want to do anything that compromises what you're best at and that's where like the margin is kind of thin for Kevin Biggio because as you said like he's got one of the best eyes in baseball you know and and this is a guy who can walk at a pretty good rate and he still has like he still is like taking his walks not quite to the degree that he has in the past because he's swinging a lot more and he's said like that's purposeful like the concerning thing so far is that he's kind of swinging more pitches outside the zone which is not something that we've come to expect from yeah. him because his eye is so elite. So like, I don't know, it's kind of finding that happy medium for him between um, being too passive and too aggressive. Right. And it's probably a really hard thing to do. Like in the moment at the big league level, when like pitchers throw really amazing stuff and know how to attack you, it's just going to be interesting kind of track how that evolves as the season goes on. For sure. I mean, the, the margins there, are really important, right? If he's expanding his zone and making poor contact on a pitch that's two inches off the plate, well, I guess there's value in that because he wants to throw teams off. He doesn't want to be predictable. He can't be predictable. But at the same time, if that would have been ball three and maybe led to a walk, there's a case for doing that too. So it's definitely a push-pull. But right now, it's not adding up. It's not working the way he would want it to. I think that's pretty clear. So I think going forward, a little bit of concern, not a huge amount. 
Can I say something about batting order construction also before we move Let's on from, it, these, yeah. from these two players? Because obviously we saw that adjustment in in the order on on Wednesday, that yep. shuffle, and all of a sudden Kevin Biggio had a strong game and Marcus Simeon had a strong game. But like Kevin Biggio didn't get on base three times on Wednesday because he's more comfortable as a leadoff hitter. Right. He got on base three times because he's Kevin Biggio and he gets right. on base a lot. Marcus Simeon didn't have, uh, I think it was two hits and a walk on Wednesday uh, because he's more comfortable hitting sixth. It's because he's a good hitter. It's because he's Marcus Simeon, and he's probably not going to have this like 40 OPS plus for the entire season when he's typically been like a 98, 99, 100 OPS plus guy. To me, Ben, like the only thing that batting order construction impacts meaningfully is that if you hit one to four, as opposed to like six to nine, you're going to get like 80 to 100 more plate appearances over the course of a season. Like that is the only impact I think that should be attributed to it, which is why like my prescription is always put your best hitters up top and don't worry about it because you want your best hitters making the most plate appearances. But there's like no need to complicate things and to like lean on these archaic narratives about how like guys are more comfortable in certain spots in the batting order and and that you know that 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 tweak or that shuffle had anything to do with the results we saw on Wednesday. Right. Yeah. I mean if you could just, you know, put players in their optimal comfort zone and get another 30 points of OPS or you know, it just it's not that easy. I think teams would do it if if it were. So yeah, I totally agree. It's great for the Jays that it worked out that way. Doesn't mean that it was a stroke of genius by Charlie Montoyo. Doesn't mean it was a bad move either. It's just a move. It happened to work in that situation. I do think that, um, you know, lineup construction is interesting. I think it's interesting to, I know it's interesting to fans. I do think, again, when we zoom out a little bit, it's not super, super essential. It's more what hitters you have than how you sequence them yes. according to all the studies that have been done, right? And so to me, like, I actually think there is an optimal spot for Kevin Vigio in the batting order. So to, this is kind of like a little mini tangent to, to, to supplement what I just said there. But I actually think the optimal spot for Vigio would be hitting eighth in, in the National League ahead of a pitcher because then they, they would walk him all the time because they just want to get to the pitcher. But that's like a that's like a fantasy world. We're living in real right. life here, and he plays for the Toronto Blue Jays. And so there's no right answer. He's a good hitter, so you probably want him toward the, you know, depending on, on how he's doing, uh, could be toward the top. He could be hitting sixth, seventh. It's not like there's a clear right-wrong. The thing you said there that was so key is that what matters is the hitters that you have. Yeah. Like that's, what it, that's what matters. That's how teams construct lineups they don't do it like oh we got a lefty tomorrow all right we got to get all of our righties in there like they have like their preferred hitters against individual pitchers they think about who do we want against eduardo rodriguez who do we want against garrett richards who do we want against garrett cole it's different for each guy based on what the pitcher throws like his arm angle his spin uh his perceived velocity like where he likes to work in the zone and then you have your hitters on your team who have success against pitches that come in on that plane or that behave in a similar fashion, spin similarly, you know, guys that like balls in the part of the zone where pitchers like to work. So you you basically just have like your top nine against each pitcher. And then you're just like cross-referencing that with like who's healthy enough to play, like who needs a day off their feet, like you know, what type of workload management you need to do here. And then also like who's on the mound for you. So what your optimal defensive construction is behind, you know, Hunjin Ryu or Tanner Roark or whoever's on the mound. And then you just order up your nine dudes. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and George Springer are going to be in the top nine for just about every pitcher, I would assume. Every pitcher across baseball. Definitely. Because they're undeniable. But Rowdy Tellez and Josh Palacios might not. And like really good teams in baseball, like the Dodgers, are picking that top nine guys against a pitcher from a greater capable group of 11 or 12. Like that's what the Dodgers do. And that's what the Rays have done. Like you don't want to be like, just here's our nine every day because we only have like nine guys that we trust. Like you want actually, you know, one, two, three guys who are undeniable hitters or Springer, Guerrero's, Bichette's, and they're in there all the time because they have the ability to lead the league in offensive categories. And then be beneath them, you've got like six, seven, eight guys who are capable big league hitters who can hit at the level but aren't superstars. 
and just play quite a bit. They don't play every day, but they play quite a bit. Like you want a lineup that looks different every day. You want options. Like you want log jams and depth. Like you want to have guys moving around the batting order. You don't want to have the same nine guys every day. Like it's not ideal to rely on a small amount of guys every day over six months because they're going to wear down and there's going to be health issues and there's going to be performance decline. You want to be picking a top nine from a greater collection of 11 or 12 guys who can play at the level. That's what the best teams do. Yeah, there's no such thing as capital T, capital L, the lineup. It's just, it's a constantly moving um, entity for for every team in baseball, even the bad ones, but especially for the good ones. The one thing that interests me is maybe, you know, whether they move Vladdy up to the two spot at some point. You know, Vlad, Bo, Springer, that sounds like a pretty good top three to me when those three are ready. Springer, Bo, Vlad. Right, Springer, I, I didn't Vlad, in that Bo. order, but yes. Yeah, yeah. whatever way you want to do it. Like, yeah. I'll just put your best hitters at the top. Yeah. I'm so tired of having these same discussions every year. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is next on our list here. And like, I know I just called like Marcus Simeon streaky. And it's kind of funny that like, we call certain guys streaky when really like all MLB hitters are yep. streaky. And every season is just a an accumulation of good runs and cold spells that like in the end, in the aggregate, end up looking like, something but man Lourdes Gurriel Jr. can be streaky (laughs) we've seen it right like would you be surprised at all to see him go on a two-week tear uh in in early May like we've seen him do uh in the past not at all and as bad as his numbers are I just it's hard to be really concerned when you've seen over the course of his big league career he's very consistently been a good hitter and going into this year I, I had a high degree of confidence Um, that he would hit and that he would hit very well. So 57 at-bats, plate appearances, not going to change that. I still think he's going to produce. Still putting the ball in play as as he does, uh, which is kind of, you know, he's got great bat-to-ball ability. He's clearly got great hand-eye. You know, his strikeout rates don't, like, jump out at you or, you know, the contact rate and the swing percentages are all normal. Like, like everything scans. Like, I think he's just not seeing the results yet um but i can tell you like the guy like hits the ball really hard and if yeah. he keeps putting the ball in play as often as he is with high exit velocities uh he's gonna he's gonna see results you know like the one thing that kind of sticks out when i look at his numbers is he's just not hitting uh as many line drives as he normally does he's kind of had more fly ball contact so if he just made a little adjustment there i think that you know you'd see some some much better results and like the other thing that really stands out actually his expected stats and his actual results there's a pretty massive gulf in there so just considering all those things I would expect that this is a guy who's going to come around and probably in a pretty big way. I think that's pretty fair. Um, what do you make of their uh, their catchers, Kirk and Jansen? Um, they've uh, both been off to pretty rough starts at the plate. Yeah, I don't expect much offensively out of catchers these days, but this level of production is bad. Like even in that context, the Blue Jays need more from the yeah. position and it's got to be with these two guys because i don't think that like you're just gonna give riley adams a bunch of rope at some point like these are the two guys so these guys need to come around and you know i mentioned Lourdes Gurriel jr's expected stats uh danny jansen's expected stats are putrid like they're really not looking good he's not hitting the ball hard at all like there's just not like an optimistic way to paint his results thus no. far and even with like kirk the exit velocity's down a bit I like I think he's still hitting the ball hard enough. He's getting the the ball in the air. Um, but he certainly is not mashing at the rate that that he has coming up through the minors and then in, obviously in an extremely small sample last year. So right. it's interesting, right? Because they're in this timeshare right now where they're basically like splitting the time right down the middle. So it's kind of like hard for either of them to accumulate enough of a sample to like draw really like clear conclusions off right. of. Because like for as for as poor as like Danny Jansen's results have been and the way he's putting the ball in play has been like, you know, two games of like bearing the baseball, right? Like if he has that, that Tampa Bay Rays playoff game where he gets like two homers and then the next day he's got a couple doubles. All of a sudden his season looks a lot better because he's probably only got like 40 plate appearances so far. Like guys like Bo and Vlad have like 80, right? So they just haven't like put up that volume and that bulk of results yet. But the Blue Jays like absolutely need more offensively out of that position. And it's not exactly a high standard to reach. No, that's right. I mean, so you look at Jansen, you mentioned the expected numbers. So I got them in front of me here. Average exit velocity percentile, 10th percentile. Hard hit percentage percentile, 6th. Expected WOBA, 
fourth percentile. Expected batting average, third percentile. These are not good. This is not what you want to see. That's very, very low, which is to say that, you know, in all cases, 90% of major league hitters are creating better contact than Danny Jansen. Um, it's not at all encouraging. I mean, there's just, it's like you said, there's no way to spin it, nor are we trying to. It's just, that's the reality. He's not, he's not hitting. He's not making good contact at all. The one thing that's tough is that he just doesn't have that much. Like he's got like 40 plate appearances. Right. Is right. Like if right. he, you know what I mean? Like if he hits like four balls hard, all of a sudden those numbers would, would go up quite a bit. Yes. I mean, yeah. And the Jays would love it because that would probably lead to a couple <laughs> hits, right? Like we just, have we seen four hard hit balls from Danny Jansen this year? I, I mean, that's, that might double as, and I'm not trying to pile on him and just pointing out the facts, right? Like he has not hit the ball hard. That's not good. 40 chances isn't a lot, but it's also 40 chances. You know, that's something. I can't say enough. Like the expectations offensively for a catcher are very, yep. very low. But neither guy has no. reached them so far. And there isn't like a clear alternative. Like there no. isn't somewhere to right. yeah. Like Alejandro Kirk was the alternative, right? Like, and yeah. but he's seeing half the plate appearances as a catcher for this club. So like yeah. the, those are the two guys that they're going to go forward with. And again, it's 18 games. Like this could look very different by like the end of the month. Two weeks from now, this could look very very different but i really do think the blue jays like they're just splitting time between these guys and saying like hey somebody take this job like somebody go with it please like somebody start hitting and you'll start getting more playing time and until that happens like i think they're just going to keep splitting the playing time right down the middle and see if one of these guys can figure it out and keep them relatively fresh i think it makes sense until someone starts uh, making the case for more we shall see we shall see it'll be interesting to watch how uh, these things progress as the season goes on but when we continue on at the letters we must talk about the best pitching staff in the American League, apparently, and that is the Toronto Blue Jays. When we continue on at the letters. All right, we are back on At The Letters, and it is time now for Keeping It Light, presented by Miller Light. I've got a few statements here, and I want to see whether you agree or disagree with them. Um, so I'm going to throw them at you. Does that sound okay? Yes. All right, so let's start with Tommy Malone. He has pitched a lot of innings for this Blue Jays team, contrary to expectations. So the statement is this. Tommy Malone is actually kind of good. He has been actually kind of good uh and he has absolutely been useful for a club that's needed some innings out of its bullpen and needed some guys to step up like it's a little bit of an underrated story right now is how some of those end of bullpen types like your tommy malones and your joel piances and anthony castros of this world have filled in like really adequately for a bullpen that's needed innings you mentioned you know the innings like tommy malone is fourth on the blue jays in innings pitched 18 Crazy. games into the season, which is uh, pretty wild. So, uh, look, he's getting the job done. Like, we all see what we're seeing. It's an 84-mile-an-hour fastball. Uh, it's tough to live and survive at the MLB level with it. Um, but I do actually like his changeup quite a bit, and I like how he uses it, the ball on his own. Like, I would really, really, really like it if he had, like, a 92-mile-an-hour fastball <laughs> to play it off of. Because, like, the the margin for error with him is just so, so slim, right? He is, you know, he his command has to be exceptional every time out. And it has been, like, to his credit. Like, he is burying that change up, and he is not leaving his fastball over the heart of the plate, and he's not getting hurt, and that's great. But we know that, like, every pitcher in baseball takes the mound on certain days when they do not have their best command and they aren't feeling their best. So when that day comes for Tommy Malone, is he going to be missing over the heart of the plate? Is he going to be leaving that fastball up or that change up up? And then all of a sudden it's big league hitters teeing off against, uh, you know, some of the softest velocity in the game. So that could get ugly, but you can't take away from what he's done to this point. He's been super useful for this club. Right. To me, he's, he's the kind of pitcher that, in an 0-2 count, you actually really like where he is because of that changeup. Because he throws it below the zone and he gets swing and miss on it. Like it's it's actually a pretty good 0-2 pitch. But if if you're in a 3-0 count with Tommy Malone on the mound, like you're you're kind of in trouble because if you have to throw 84 anywhere near the heart of the plate, big league hitters are just going to destroy it more often than not. Next one up, I have here for you, Arden. 
has to do with the Yankees. They're 6-11. and 11. If you read any of the coverage around this team, it's a little uh, more intense than, um, than, of course, most major league teams. And in this case, there's some panic. So what do you think? Are the Yankees actually in trouble? No, they'll be fine. They could uh, use a little work on the pitching side of things, I would suggest. But the, the thing about the Yankees is that like they correct those problems yeah. and they find a way. If you're not getting it done, like they will find somebody to come in and get it done. And I don't know if for them that's going to come internally uh, this season. At least at first, I would imagine it does. Um, or it might also come with, like I don't know, Corey Kluber and Jordan Montgomery like and Domingo Herman and whoever else is in that rotation right now. It might come with a trade at some point this season uh like they will address that issue and their lineup is too deep and too good i still think the yankees are going to win this division i agree i think the yankees are a very very good team and even if they're not left-handed enough or they're not you know athletic enough they're still just stacked and i think they're going to win a lot of games but all right what about the red sox then so they're 12 and 7 so here's the next agree or disagree statement for you are they every bit as good as the blue jays uh yes i i guess so i think they're right there i think these two teams are you know more level than maybe people gave them credit for coming into the season like i kind of thought the red sox would surprise some people this year and i figured that the blue jays would kind of be contending with them for that third place in the american league east with uh, the yankees uh being the best team in the rays I, I figured would finish second and claim a wild card spot so yeah i think that uh you know the red sox the blue jays are pre-level the red sox are better than people think that they are they've shown it to this point i agree i think the red sox are better than people think i still think the jays are better than the red sox but um you know we'll we have a lot of time left to determine that one all right next up the Giants um, and Kevin Gosman. We've talked about Kevin Gosman more than we've probably talked about some Blue Jays pitchers on this podcast. And, you know, he's he's an intriguing arm. He's he's really interesting. We know the Jays liked him and offered him a contract last offseason. So we kind of speculated that he might be someone who ends up being a trade target. But the Giants are playing well. So agree or disagree, the Giants are playing too well and Kevin Gosman will no longer be on the trade market. I have to like adjust my prediction. I think Kevin Gosman will pitch for an American League East club later this season. I don't like. I I think it will be the Blue Jays, but uh, I could also see the Yankees coming in and just <laughs> plucking him away. Yeah, the, the Giants have to trade him at some point this season. It's not like the Giants are built to uh, you know be a sustainable winner right now. It's not like they're really really even in their competitive window. Like they're having success this year, great, but like their roster is like old as hell. I do not have a lot of faith in them continuing to play as well as they have. Even if they do continue to like hum along at like a little bit over 500, the Dodgers and Padres and that division man and those two teams are going to separate and, uh, you know, put up a, a bunch of wins as things go on here. So the Dodgers have to trade Kevin Gossman. He was qualified, so you can't qualify him again. So you're not looking at draft pick compensation. If you hang on to him, they absolutely have to move him. Uh, and I bet she gets moved to the Blue Jays or the Yankees. I think he will be traded. As for where he goes, who knows? After the James Paxton experiment, I'm not sure that I'm ready to go quite so bold Don't as to predict. Shy <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that brings us to our last one here. And this is also a, a pitcher. So another trade candidate along the lines of Gosman. And, well, we thought Paxton, but obviously not. Now that he is undergoing TJ. So Danny Duffy could be in that tier, in that group of the most uh, desirable pitchers available at the deadline. Royals are playing kind of well, though. So agree or disagree, Danny Duffy will be the most coveted deadline arm this summer. I don't know about most, but I think he'll be up there. And I think he'll be moved as well. I think if you're the Royals, you kind of have to move him. Um, again, not a team that is like in the heart of its competitive window at the moment. Although they are, you know, and I we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I thought the Royals would be better than people thought they would. And they have been. But, you know. They're, they're going to have to move him. Like anybody, you know, any pitcher that close to free agency, I think that, you know, even clubs like the Royals have come around on the fact that, uh, you know, you got to move them. And uh, I hate this word, but, you know, maximize the asset. The one thing I wonder about here is whether the Royals see Duffy as kind of like a franchise piece. And he's been there for a while. I mean, I think it's close to a decade at this point. And I wonder if they see him kind of like their you know, pairing to Sal Perez, you know, almost in a Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright light kind of situation where they would really have to be bowled over. So I kind of think that we'll see how it goes, but I kind of think that the Royals will hold on to Duffy. 
Well, and they are not going to be bowled over at the trade deadline. I can tell you that much for a two month rental. Like we've seen in right. prior seasons, like the prices for those guys are not uh, great. <laughs> like look what the Blue Jays paid. It's a, it's a bad example because it's a shortened season. They're only getting them for a month. But look what the Blue Jays paid for like Taiwan Walker and Robbie Ray last year. Um, you know, like you just do not see great prices being paid for rentals anymore. Like I think that, you know, those clubs are just not willing to give up like, uh, you know, big like Glaber Torres type of freaking prospects, you know, at deadlines anymore. Like, I just think those days are over. So if you really want to like play the asset management game and like you really want to like move a guy when you can get peak value, it kind of has to happen like with a year at least until free agency, if not even two. That's right. So even if he does become that most coveted arm, you know, if, you know, for guys who are approaching that uh, end of their contract, it's not like teams are going to give up a ton. And obviously that will impact the offers they get and maybe even the decisions they make in the end. All right, that's that. Let's get back to uh, the Blue Jays. Ben, uh, is this the best pitching staff in the American League? No, I would say it's not. However, it I know, I know. It's actually kind of crazy. Like, And of all the weird things that happened to this team in the first month or so, I'd say them having an ERA this good is very high up on the list of of surprises, um, but obviously a pleasant one in this case. Yeah, the biggest surprise is just the guys that they've been getting it done with, right? And you even look at like Hunjin Ryu his last time out, like did not look good, you know, like Velo wasn't there, um, you know, wasn't getting the swing and miss that he needs to. Like uh, it is like Steven Matz having a massive bounce back here looking really really good it's been like big time bullpen contributions from like guys like tommy malone and like trent thornton and joel Piamps. um you know it's just kind of wild the way the blue jays have pieced this together with you know the amount of like and the quality of arms that they've had on the injured list i do not think it is sustainable at all like i kind of said earlier in the early in the podcast like this pitching staff is not as good as it has performed to this point but just considering like everything that has gone awry in this season for the blue jays they'll take it <laughs> like they will take what they've gotten from this group to this point and they will do everything they can to try to kind of spin it ahead but like you just look at the guys who are actually throwing these innings i mentioned tommy malone being fourth on the team in innings pitched tj zoic is third on the team wow. in innings pitched it's pretty crazy. No, truly. I mean, because Zoic was a guy who barely made the team Malone. Like, if we were setting up the the roster decisions for the Jays in that final week of the season, those guys were basically hardly in the conversation, you know? So it really speaks to how quickly things change. And it's been, you know, as, as much as those hitters that we discussed uh, a few minutes ago are disappointing, these pitchers have been pleasant surprises in a lot of cases. And the results are in no way sustainable i mean they're not they're obviously not going to have the best era in the american league all season but you take it while you can get it and as long as these guys are healthy and producing that's a great great situation for the jays to be in and it's kind of keeping them afloat yeah that's why the blue jays have a plus 10 run differential this pitching has been that good while the uh the offense has been underperforming uh pitching and defense ben that's what wins ball games blue jays defense not great. <laughs> it's looked pretty rough, especially on the left side of the infield. Where's your level of concern right now with Kevin Biggio at third base and Boba Shed at short? Um, it's there. It's there. It has to be, I think. They've missed chances. They've they've missed chances. It's cost the pitching staff, you know, remarkably, because the results are still good in spite of those missed opportunities defensively. But th- there's a little concern. They they don't look good. Now, I think you and I have both seen enough baseball to know that not looking great at a position for a few weeks does not doom you to a lifetime of futility at that position. I mean, it's a long season. These guys are athletes who adjust all the time. And so there's a chance that they get better. But at the same time, I think it would be it would be a little ridiculous to deny that they have struggled because those struggles have have happened they have struggled both like subjectively from the eye test and objectively 
from like the empirical numbers and the evidence yeah. is not looking great for you want to look at whatever metric you like you know outs above average like any of these type of advanced defensive metrics that are like completely useless at this time of year 18 games in but whatever they have they reflect what has happened i don't think they reflect like the overall quality and what's going to happen going forward but they reflect what has happened to this point and it's not been good so yeah yeah blue jays defense has been tough to watch but they should change nothing in my opinion they should do absolutely nothing about it and continue running out Kevin Biggio at third base and Bo Bichette at shortstop and Marcus Simeon at second base, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first. You do not want to make any hasty panic moves right now. You came into this season committed to Bo Bichette at shortstop, which, by the way, is not just like a 2021 thing. It's been like a 2020, 2019, 2018. Since this guy was in the organization, you've been building him up as a shortstop. You've been telling him to work at this position and to get better at it. For Kevin Biggio, it is a 2021 thing, but you came into the season saying, hey, you're going to play third and you're going to play pretty much every day there. Like You're not going to move around as much as you did prior. So he worked his ass off at it and he prepared for that and he put in months of sweat equity into developing himself at that position and learning the reads and the angles and, and getting better. And for Bo, it's been years of sweat equity. You don't just bail on that process after 18 games in which you have seen like admittedly some transfers out of the glove that have not been crisp some throws to first that have been pretty rough in spite of that you don't just pull the rug out from under guys after two and a half so so weeks like what is that going to accomplish you're going to move Bo Bichette to second base a position he hasn't played like you think it's going to be any better? Like you think that that like immediately that's gonna that's gonna make sense and that's gonna look really good from a defensive perspective? You're just gonna take Kevin Biggio off of third base and like who is your alternative? Now you're gonna start Joe Panic every day and you're gonna start Santiago Espinal every day at shortstop. Okay, you can score two runs a game if you want to do that. In the meantime, you are kiboshing the confidence of two of like the core pieces of your team. You're like borderline like embarrassing them by like taking responsibility away from them. And then there is a further domino effect where if you're finding other places for Bichette and Biggio to play, well, that's displacing other players. And now you have to accommodate those moves. Now other players are going to be out of position and other players are getting screwed up and out of their routines. Like if you're moving a player off a position, like you better have a damn good reason for why you are doing it. And you'd better have seen more than 18 games worth of results to make that decision because this is not just a day-to-day proposition moving guys uh, from positions. Like, it is not a video game where you can just, like, install guys at different places and it's just going to look different. Like, the amount of preparation and work that goes into defending at the big league level and goes into learning a position is considerable. And there's absolutely no reason for the Blue Jays to change anything with either of those guys right now. Yeah, I I think they deserve to be in the spots that they are. And, you know, for the team, this is what makes sense because they have seen that Bichette has has grown as a shortstop, he's improved as a shortstop, and there are reasons to believe that he can handle it defensively. With Biggio, it's less of a long-term thing, as you said, but still, he's handled it at times well enough to continue going there. Um, and, you know, you could, in theory, talk about putting Vlad over a third, but it's not like that's a guarantee. Panic or Espinal, you lose so much offensively. You know, it's... That's the um, solution. It's, it, yeah, that's the it, solution. It, it's Vlad at third. The, wow. the Vlad at third. Flashback like a year ago. People were like, this guy can never play third again. And now that's like your solution for improving the defense is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at third. Slower off the bat. The 1-0, smashed towards third base, juggled by Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and loses the play. The ball hit his leather, tried to exchange it to the bare hand, and then missed both, rolling behind him. And Buxton, who smashed it hard down to third base, reaches first. And I mean, he's to his credit, he's looking better at first. Doesn't make him a gold glove third baseman, right? So I, I think... Look, if this continues, which it might, right? If this continues for another six weeks or eight weeks or two months, then there's a real conversation to be had. And I think that conversation would come first with Kevin Biggio. Like with, with Bo, I think he, he's got to get at least months, not weeks at shortstop, at least. With Kevin, you know, maybe in a few weeks that conversation changes for me. Like uh, if he's really who? struggling. Who's going to play there? Figure it out. I mean, if he's really struggling... 
it's not it hasn't looked good what's your alternative right? well it, it might be the combination of things maybe out of a six game week you have biggio play three vlad play one espinal play two that's one option right I, I just don't think it makes any sense at all to change anything there. I think you give them the season. You absolutely do. And I'm not saying that, like, in 2022, the left side of your infield isn't going to be Jordan Groshans at third and Trevor Story at short with Bo Bichette at second. Sure. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first and Kevin Biggio being, like, your Ben Zobris type. Like, I could totally see that scenario. I think that's a very real possibility in 2022. Let the process play out. You've committed to it. You've put so much time and effort and work into this. Like, why would you panic and like wildly fluctuate approaches and make things uncertain for guys? Like no club that takes itself seriously makes a panic move like that. It's not a panic move, though. If Biggio is really underperforming in three weeks time, say, I'm not saying right now because I agree with you right now. There's nothing to be done right now. But I think in three weeks time, if he's really not performing well, I don't think that would be panicking. I think that's the middle of May and you've got a third baseman who's not playing defense ball. If it's every play, fine. Like if it's like, yeah, he just can't make a play over there. Cool. But like you look at even that Wednesday game, right? Like where he has that uh, uncertain throw to first. It's in the dirt. I believe the runner reached, right? Like it was rough. What happens on the next two balls hit to him at third, which were tougher throws from further away with less time? He nailed both of them. He gets no credit for that, but like a defensive miscue really sticks out in your head, right? Because like we all see it, right? And it's tough. And like when an out isn't made, it is glaring. It's easy to point to, but it's also 2021. Like the ball has never been in play less in human history than it is now. Strikeout rates through the roof, walk rates, home run rates. The three true outcomeification of baseball has been extreme so like elite defense like absolutely like show-stopping defense has never been less important there's been a dramatic reduction in defensive opportunities over the last several years and that trend does not seem to be reversing so if Kevin Biggio makes one mistake in Wednesday's game yes it's a play that should have been made but when he nails the next two I am fine with it and I'm fine with him at third base What I'm arguing is that there could be a time this season, whether it's short term with a combination of players, whether it's medium term with Groshans, with Austin Martin, there could be a time that Kevin Biggio isn't that guy. I don't think it makes sense to say Kevin Biggio gets 2021, no questions asked, because he hasn't done enough to show that he belongs there, in my opinion. I think, like I said, if he literally cannot make a single play, but fine. But to me, he's making more than enough plays a third to continue playing third on a regular basis. Right. For now, I, I agree. Same with Bo Bichette. Like, he needs to continue working at shortstop. Like, did, like Marcus Simeon's first season as an everyday MLB shortstop, I want to say it was 2015, might have been 2014. That guy made 35 errors. Like, led the league. It You know, the fans in Oakland were, like, all over him. This is, like, the beloved Bay Area kid, by the way, who, like, you know, people were freaking crying and weeping in the streets when he left Oakland and came to the Blue Jays. Like, that year, he was getting, like, crushed by fans and media because he, it was going so poorly. The, the Oakland hired Ron Washington midseason to babysit him defensively, like to be a, they expanded their coaching staff and created a position for Ron Washington, who, if I'm remembering this correctly, couldn't even be in the dugout because they had so many, like they had already maximized their coaches. So he had to like watch from like a press box uh, to work with him every single day and to break him down as a defender and build him back up and to go through this whole process. Now Marcus Simeon is a two-time gold glove finalist, and he's the guy that everyone is pining for to be on the left side of the Blue Jays infield. This is a guy who was like really, really poor defensively when he first started playing shortstop every day at the big league level. Bo Bichette needs to be given time to work at this and to continue his evolution, his development, and his progress. He's 23 years old. He's really young. He is trying to handle like an incredibly difficult defensive position incredibly demanding at the highest level of the game he deserves at least the rest of this season to see that through and if it is like unmistakably 
undeniably not working and like really really poor by the end of this year then you look at going out and getting one of those short stops in the open you know in the free agent market or like maybe one of your internal guys is ready to step in there and you can have a discussion about moving Bobichet at that point but for me I need to see Bobichet playing shortstop every damn day for the rest of the season yeah I think for me that would be at least the first half of the season you want to see months of Bobichet and with Biggio, I, I just wouldn't give him that long of a leash. It's not an insult. You're just trying to win ball games, right? You're trying to get the best defensive and offensive team out there you can. You would move Bo Bichette midseason? Maybe. Like, if so, the the standard of defense that you've seen to this point, right? Yeah. If this continues, would you move him no. midseason? No, right. I would keep him. If this if Biggio's standard continues, I'm, I would think about it. He, like, he hasn't looked good. And to me, it hasn't been putrid. Like, to me, it's been I'm not like, saying it's been putrid. I'm not saying yeah. it, I'm just saying it hasn't been good enough. Like the, no one's saying he's missing every play. Without a viable alternative, it would have to be putrid. Like it would have to be really, really like getting in the way of my success for me yeah. to move him. Without a viable alternative, look if like I don't know Jordan Groshans is ready and he can hit the big league level right, right. now and play like really strong third base. Okay, yeah, there's right. a viable alternative. Like there yep. it is. But there's a guy who, you know, has played like, you know, 12 games in the last three years or whatever it is, right? Like he needs minor league time. You know, if Austin Martin's ready, there's viable alternative. Sure. Right. Great. But when your viable alternative is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. playing regularly at third base, I don't think that you're going to see much defensive improvement there. Uh, and, you know, or, or the other alternatives like Joe Panic in the in the lineup every single day like joe panic's a really good bench player on a competitive postseason team i don't think he's an everyday player on a really competitive postseason team agreed and no one's saying otherwise agreed but if he plays once in a while if espinal plays once in a while and if vlad plays once in a while all of a sudden it's more of a timeshare i don't think that's the worst thing necessarily but we're not at that point of you know suggesting that right now <laughs> i'm not giving these guys as much rope as you are I am. I'm just a more patient person than you, apparently. Uh, we're 18 games in, man. Like, it's just don't, no, no conclusions need to be drawn. You know, right. we can say these I'm not are saying to do it now. That have, that have happened. Yeah, but I think there are people who are saying to do it now. Right. Uh, and no I one on this podcast that. is. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'll do it for us this week on at the letters. Ben's on Twitter at B. Nicholson Smith. My name's Arden Zwelling. That's where I'm at on Twitter. Our producers are Christian Ryan. And Mike to Sony, and want to let you know that uh, taking us out this week is an artist from British Columbia who has been in the Canadian music scene since 2015. With his latest single, Made for This, here's Terrell Sapphire. Yeah. If we talking dirt, no, I came from it. Talking hard work, boy, I made of it. Early in the morning, wake my daughter up. Got some shoebox money, but it's not enough. I was doing all them shows when no one showed. I'm that diamond in a rough that no one knows. And now my reps are shit, got a hundred flows. I'm trapping at a crib with a hundred bows. In the elevator, looking uncomfortable. Cause I told them seal them up, but they wasn't no. I dance like the baby when the pack arrived. You can't touch this, and if you do, it's hammer time. Let's flick it up, I camera shy little baby for me because i am a vibe i can live off the bows i don't have to rhyme but i'm trying to make a change and a sacrifice you know I-